CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 30 Empires of Disinformation Fighting Windmills Independent journalism is the backbone of every functioning democracy. Yet for the countries of the so-called Western Balkan, the free spaces for reporting have been shrinking. Journalists often find themselves in a hostile atmosphere, often labeled by government officials or other media as traitors of the nation or as foreign agents. Resilient independent media is a precondition for the rising threat of disinformation and fake news. How do we tackle the current deficiencies of the media system and the public sphere in the region? What concrete measures improve resilience of independent journalists? Welcome to our podcast series, Central Europe Explained. My name is Daniela Apaidin. I'm a research associate at the IDM and I'm hosting today's episode on the situation of independent journalism in Western Balkan countries. With me is Hanna Tropic from the Cross-Border Journalism Network NOST, based in Berlin. Hanna studied German language and literature in Belgrade and has long-standing experience with capacity building and project management. Hanna worked as a project coordinator for several German foundations. For NOST, she was the responsible coordinator for the project Local Journalism, European Perspectives, with a focus on the Western Balkans in 2021. I'm very curious about this project and its outcome, but firstly, I warmly welcome Hanna. It's great having you here today. Thank you, thank you, Daniela. Thank you very much. It's nice to talk to you and thank you very much for your invitation. Great. Hanna, before we learn more about the project that you carried out with the excellent Balkan Investigative Network, BIRN, I would like to learn more about the general situation of journalism in the region. Um, where do you see the main challenges for journalists at the moment and what affects them in daily life? Well, um, I, I'm not sure that uh, that's a very optimistic question to start with, uh, because I think that the situation of uh, journalists in the Western Balkans, but not only in the Western Balkans, is not uh, something that we could describe as a very cheerful everyday life. Um, journalists uh, face systematic difficulties and challenges and independent local media, maybe even on a greater scale, uh, that make the situation of independent media very, very serious. We are talking about lack of market regulation, about monopolization, state influence, and also very precarious working conditions. And um, in addition to that, the, the non-existent free advertising market make independent and uh, economically sustainable media practice at the same time almost impossible. In my opinion, the fact that local media still exist in such a hostile environment is already a sign of their resilience uh, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, for this introduction. Um, perhaps before we dive deeper into the topic of journalistic resilience, uh, let me shortly explain this pretty weird political term called Western Balkans. Because uh, when we speak about the Western Balkan countries, we mostly mean the seven European countries, Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Kosovo, North Macedonia, 
Montenegro and Serbia. So we are actually speaking about a very diverse and huge region of this continent. The EU has developed a policy to support the gradual integration of these countries with the Union. In 2013, as we know, Croatia joined the EU, Montenegro and Serbia, the Republic of North Macedonia and Albania are official candidates and accession negotiations and chapters have been opened with Montenegro and Serbia. Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo are potential candidate countries. Now that we have a bit of an overview of this region and the countries we're talking about, Hanna, um, your project focused, as I, as I understood, um, mainly on journalists uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro and Serbia. Can you please explain us what were the reasons for choosing these countries and um, what do they have in, in common when it comes to the topic of journalism? Well, first of all, thanks, Daniel, again, but this time for explaining the term. I think it's uh, very important to explain uh, political terms. It's also a very good question why only these uh, three countries. Um, they are definitely connected regionally, but also connected by uh, their languages, or rather one language and different uh, dialects. And on the other hand, we have to make a distinction when funding projects. Uh, it's very often the case that we need to make a difference between projects that can be funded in the countries of European Union and not. And our project is uh, supported by German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development. So therefore, we created this project, first of this kind for us, uh, with those three countries. So with the Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro and Serbia. Mm -hmm. So you already mentioned before the, the local journalism and the resilience of journalists in, on a local level. Can you maybe elaborate a bit more about that and show a bit how the project approached this issue? Well, the approach is, um, we thought that uh, local media show big potential uh, to positively influence democratization movements and to address their own audience audiences that are very often not in an adequate way uh, informed by a larger media. And one very important finding for our approach was uh, a study carried out by uh, our project partner, uh, BIRN, as you mentioned, it's a Vulcan investigative uh, reporting network. And it was uh, possible to analyze uh, fundamental challenges to be addressed and improved by the project and in order to try to strengthen resilience and make some kind of, uh, again, capacity building of uh, selected uh, local media. And how can I imagine that now concretely? Did you, did you offer workshops or what kind of program was behind this? Exactly. That was uh, capacity building, as I said, but also uh, a, very, a very full program for almost a year. Uh, we focused on a couple of segments, on a couple of, let's say, uh, challenges that were stated uh, by journalists themselves uh, in this study. So mm -hmm. we have chosen three topics. Uh, one is financial sustainability. Uh, the second one was safe handling information or how to handle misinformation. And of course, fact-checking and everything in the scope of that subject. And the third one was uh, cross-border cooperation. And in between those, um, uh, those workshops, uh, journalists were 
making their own, so to say, everyday work, but connected to those subjects and connected to those, um, actually connected to these topics and connected to what they have done uh, within, within those workshops. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned uh, cross-border cooperation. That sounds always like, like a big thing and important and so, but we all know from, from our daily life that this is, is far harder to do in practice than it looks on paper. What was your approach there and, and how does it help really? Uh, what's the benefit of cross-border cooperation for the journalists uh, on site? I think also that's a, it's an excellent question because we usually connect cross-border with like big stories and uh, like huge international efforts that can take years to bring stories, but it doesn't have to be like that. And um, cross-border cooperation is something basically that NOST is applying in all regions. It's our approach in all the projects that we're engaged in. And in many cases, um, it has shown that Uh, when collaborating in that way on such stories, uh, media outlets can share knowledge and approaches and create a situation where their coverage can have more impact and more reach. It's only important from the very beginning to consider what form of cooperation is needed. And that's something that I learned from our workshop, because sometimes um, sharing Research and expertise and expertise methodology can also mean collaboration. There is also one publication that I also learned uh, a lot from. It's called Playbook. It's also an OST publication. And it's a kind of guide uh, drawn from the experiences of pioneer group of cross-border uh, journalists. And there one can visualize how cross-border projects, um, they don't have necessarily this kind of fixed starting point and they, they can flow into new or different, uh, different other projects. I think it's very didactic and it helped me at the very beginning to better understand um, uh, this kind of approach. Of course, there is always a lot of to think about before one starts that kind of comparison, but I think with a playbook, uh, one can um, see how it can work on, on different levels and with different uh, journalists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for mentioning the playbook. I, I also um, took a look in, on the website of Austin. We will also share um, the link to it uh, for our listeners because it's really useful, very practical. Um, And, and accessible, let's say, and uh, I can really recommend it as well for further projects. So um, you also mentioned the financial aspect, and I know that's a, that's a maybe also a frustrating aspect of the topic, but it's it's so important uh, financial resources. Can you tell us a bit more about this very aspect of the of the workshop findings? Maybe uh, is there something region specific or? I would like to be to sound more optimistic and to um, share with you that our two trainers shared with us models of joint funding and models of crowdfunding. That was something that we worked on during the workshop. Basically, we, we took a method method of raising funds online and tried to to figure out how local media can work with that in the future. And for, for that to happen, of course, media 
certainly have to have a quality content at the first place, but they also need to have their audience um, or audiences, their community. And we also talked how to establish this connection where local media start talking with their communities uh, about supporting them. And that the slogan uh, should be support media that you follow, not only in a crisis when they're maybe facing financial collapse or uh, are under pressure and penalized for their work, uh, but Maybe the most important thing is to keep in mind that the public should understand that uh, their support is a guarantee of media independence. And that is something that's worth of investing in. And of course, transparency is a central part of the whole online fundraising uh, process, uh, regardless of the chosen models, because of course, uh, we talked about more than one. And we also mentioned some successful examples of funding that prove that once audience identifies its values with the media, media can count on their support uh, on the longer run. And as as example, as I said, uh, we took Krik uh, from Serbia. It's a crime and corruption reporting network, nonprofit organization established to improve investigative journalism. And for example, also a portal from Croatia it's one of the oldest independent nonprofit uh, websites. And we took a look in their ways of work and crowdfunding campaigns that they had or still have uh, as a membership model, for example. So no, there are definitely no recipes and it is uh, very contextual as it usually is, but uh, it's not easy to, on one hand, to seek for the money for, for financial support in maybe surroundings that are poorer than the others. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, but what came to my mind uh, in this regard is when you, of course, are, are working for uh, one of these newer initiatives, local ones, um, then um, often they're, they're, let's say, they're founded as, as an NGO or uh, yeah, also from the structure of an association. Um, and uh, as a journalist, you easily, I think, um, get into this position of not only a fundraiser for, for your own work, for your own job, but also um, in the position of, of an activist, um, especially in, in the region, if you get labeled as, as I already mentioned, uh, as, a, as a foreign agent, as a, as a traitor of the na nation, as it was often put, or uh, as an enemy or so, then you, you come in this position of, of defending yourself or also of, of yeah need to, to position yourself um, very much. And, and I wonder if um, what you think about this, as I call it, NGOization of journalism and the journalist being more of an activist. Do you see that critical or is it not happening? No, it's definitely happening. And thanks for, for explaining it. I mean, it's like, um, it's a very dangerous position because um, journalists as well are put on, in that position. Um, not all the people or not that many people are born as activists or would, would like to become activists. But something else is happening. Sometimes it can happen that qualitative information come from NGOs, especially if they have to take over the role of the media in some certain sense. And on the other hand, uh, it's also logical that media use all the 
available financial means, like in certain structures, in order to generate their funds uh, more easily and or sometimes also just in order to survive. So think with the with the NGOization is a very, very contextual. And I also think that to what you mentioned um, in your question, and I think it's very important, and there is this switch between objectivity in strict terms, especially for journalists, versus activism. And I think this social problem has been present in the Balkans for decades, since the 1990s, of course, and especially in those professions that per se have more public attention and deal with the public and its problems on a daily basis, one could follow this imposed transformation of becoming an activist. And people or professions even become activists because they're standing up for themselves, for their credibility and credibility for their own professions. Making them into the activists is to make them, to marginalize them in a way, because in the last 30 years, the last thing that the mainstream politics in the region of former Yugoslavia needs is a critical thought. And especially if you're not using uh, nationalistic narratives, then you, um, in the Balkans or in the Western Balkans, you necessarily become a certain kind of act. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, from there, you're most probably going to uh, be a part of uh, hate speech of some politician and be labeled as journalist, activist, representative of civil society organization, portrayed as a mercenary traitor in the mass media or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also here, I mean, here the, the challenge also for, for education of journalists uh, uh, for the future uh, to, to really get sensitive uh, for all these issues that might have not been so in the, in the focus, let's say, a decade ago. What I also wanted to uh, ask you about the project, I, I saw the, the format of journalism slams. Can you maybe explain what, what it was all about? Is it like a poetry slam and, and how did you connect this? These two formats. Excellent. It is, but it's not. Uh, of course, the format leans uh, on a poetry slam, but it's not about uh, any kind of competition. It's about journalists uh, going uh, on a stage in a very uh, informal atmosphere and having about 10 minutes to explain um, the background of one of their publications, like one of their, um, their stories. So from the idea to the research and its result. And so they, they provide an insight into the everyday life of um, journalistic work. And uh, we used them as, um, I think it was the first time in, in the so-called region, like in the Balkans, uh, to use this format as, as far as I know. We um, made of course public events as well, but or, and organized it locally uh, in this in the cities uh, where we had uh, our workshops uh, and involving of course uh, inviting local audience so after a journalist tells something about his story and then there is the possibility for exchange with the audience uh, with q a format and i think um, this is a very very as i said informal format and i think it's very very suitable for co and communicative and uh, in addition to contact uh, and confidence building with the local journalists, 
and the focus is um, it focuses on med media education because uh, audiences can learn more about journalistic work and kind of um, to get to know story behind the story and i think uh, it has a lot of potential uh, because it communicates uh, with the audience very directly and uh, has this informal and transparent methods that could contribute to gaining trust and i also think it's a it's a very specific situation if uh, if, if it's about local media so they communicate in the, in other way with their audiences mm -hmm. also getting to know the journalists behind the stories i think is something that uh, is very interesting for for everybody who's consuming media so yeah it was an extremely in interesting insight into this project into the issue itself um, maybe uh, I would like to ask you, because we do this always at the end of the episodes, um, ask you for a piece of art, a book, music piece, uh, whatsoever, that you would like to recommend um, for inspiration on the topic. Do you have anything for us and our listeners? I, I think I have, because uh, uh, speaking of all these topics and uh, gaining maybe the best way your audience uh, can gain insights in what we have been doing in the last uh, 10 months is our publication <laughs> that is online. So you can uh, read a lot, a lot more details and get to know uh, our uh, partner media uh, and local media in the three countries. And uh, it both in uh, local languages, but um, and also in English. Uh, and it's on one of Bjorn's uh, websites for tools and publications. It's called bird.tools slash publications. And there you can see the title of the project and both publications, it's very recognizable. And they're mm -hmm. online, you don't even have to download them. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, thank you very much, Anna. Uh, thank you for your time, uh, for giving us the insights. As usual, our listeners will find the recommendations and, and links later on our social media posts and descriptions. Um, Anna, thanks a lot again for taking the time uh, about this very important topic. This will not be the last time that we will focus on journalism. Uh, there will be uh, further observations of the situations, uh, not only in the Western Balkans. Um, please check out our previous episodes on, on the region. Um, we uh, were covering several aspects, but not only Corona uh, related. Thank you again, Hannah. Thank you for listening and see you again. Thanks for having me. So you enjoyed this podcast? Then tune into another CEE episode and subscribe to the IDM podcast series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or elsewhere you get your podcasts. And also, have a look at the rest of our work on our website, www.idm.at. For any feedback or podcast collaboration, feel free to contact me at e.hontoberry at idm.at. The email is in the description below. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, powered by Erstegroup. With the ongoing participation of Daniela Paiden, Marvin Atalik, 
Daniel Martinek and Sebastian Schaeffer. Production and editing, Emma Hunterberry. Proofreading, Jack Gill. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.